0: Good morning. Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's happened maybe too many times for me to count, but uh, young men and women in their maybe late teens, early 20s, I find out about it because I'm a pastor, they get themselves into some kind of trouble. Maybe they get arrested or get a ticket, and they think in their heart of hearts, they tell the story later, Now I have lost my parents' favor and their love. This is going to change my relationship with them forever. You might remember a time in your own life when you got yourself into trouble and you thought that. And almost invariably, because of the people I minister to or God's people, there is an aha on the part of that young adult because they realize how much their parents really do love them unconditionally because their love didn't change. once they got over the revelation that they had done something wrong they recognized how much and deeply their parents loved them maybe they didn't interfere with the consequences that they had but they deeply loved their children and were right there by their side and forever their relationship was changed for the better because now they knew how unconditional the love of their parents really was that pretty much describes the dawning happening to the disciples in their relationship with Jesus Christ after Easter morning. He appears to them and appears to Peter individually, and he is the loving, forgiving Savior, talking about grace and forgiveness and this beautiful good news for all people. And these are the guys that denied him and ran from him right in his darkest hour. Well, the story today that we're going to see is a, a, another appearance of Jesus teaching them again the same things during those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. The Bible verse that I had put on the, the screen for you comes from the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, but it, it, it leads us into what God is teaching us about himself by the, the movements of his son after his resurrection. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God was actually, in the book of Malachi, in the middle of giving them a really stern talking to. But what God is telling him, it's a very emotional book, Malachi, is as is, is much as God is trying to correct the f- faults and the problems, the sins of his people, he's saying, but I don't change, and that's why I haven't just destroyed you because I love you so much. And he's appealing based on that love. So race ahead to Jesus and the apostles. Easter Sunday has happened. This is maybe weeks later. He was only around in and out 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So it's sometime in that 40-day that period. But he had, through his angels at the grave, he had told the women, go tell the disciples that I will go ahead and meet them in Galilee. Then later that day he appeared to the disciples, but then they moved up to Galilee and waited for the Lord to meet them there. And Peter says, you can go to the next slide, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, and we're about to read that. And it says, it names five of the, the guys four more that names with him and then and then two that are left unnamed there's thomas and james and john are the sons called the sons of zebedee and nathaniel remember the one in whom there is no guile so those four and peter and then two more unnamed apostles you might think that they are probably philip or andrew because those were the fishermen along the shore philip had, had also gone to get peter and andrew early on to tell them about jesus and andrew had gone to get nathaniel So maybe maybe it was those two guys, but it could have been others. So they go out in the evening. Remember, they've been chasing Jesus around for for, uh, three years, right? In and out of their homes back in Galilee, but not much, mostly occupied with Jesus. When they first were called to apostleship, the, the fishermen said, it says about them, they left their nets and their boat. Remember, the sons of Zebedee left Everything with dad, and they left. So when they come back after three years of being disciples following Jesus around, what boats did they use? I don't know. What nets? Family, friends? Really, it's the industry of the Sea of Galilee is fishing. There's not really any fields right around it. It kind of sits down in a bowl with mountains around it. Uh, There's so every there's there's maybe fishing boats you could say everywhere, and they had a lot of connections. But Peter says, "I'm going fishing." And if you're going to fish with nets, it's it's small commercial fishing. You're expecting to catch enough that you could sell some. And remember, they need to eat and take care of themselves. Maybe this is a way for them to, in their little commerce, the farmer's market, the fisher's market, go make a little money and get a little food, have a little fun, too, because they did enjoy that vocation. So here we're going to see Jesus show how much he loves them. And they're still in the uh, recovery. They're still in the hangover after Easter, if you will. And imagine the thoughts that are going through their head about they thought they were on this mission with Messiah, and then they realize he's going to die. Then he realized he's risen again, and they've got to be just everywhere on the map emotionally. So follow along as I read it to you. Afterward, you can go to the slides that have the scriptures, Lou. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way Simon Peter, taught Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples, they were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, which is really, you know, if it's the, the, the the main guy in a group, what's he saying? Do you want to go along? (laughs) Right? I'm going out fishing. You want to go along? He's inviting him. We'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Does that sound like a familiar story? So familiar that people who don't believe in the exact history of the Bible will say, Oh, maybe John's mixing this story up with the previous one. But... Actually, it's two different stories. Same lake. In Luke 5, when Jesus first called them to apostleship, they didn't catch anything all night. And Peter was sitting in his boat, mending nets and pulling them together and cleaning them while Jesus was standing in the boat preaching. Remember that? And Jesus was talking to the crowds on the shore. And he said, put out a little ways. So Peter puts out a little ways. And he's working on his nets. And right there standing next to him, Jesus is teaching the people God's word. And they're on the shore, and, and the, the water bounces his voice, and it's good acoustics, and it's all going well. And, and Jesus talks until noon. And then he says to Peter, all the crowds, he dismisses them. He says, let's go fishing. And Peter, remember what he said? Lord, we do this for a living. We fished all night. We didn't catch anything. It's noon. If fish go to the deep water, we're not going to get them. But because you say so, we'll go out there and we'll put down the nets. Kind of like, and then I'll say, I told you so. <laughs> and then they catch so many that their nets are breaking and they have to get their friends to come help them. And then just real quickly, do you remember how Peter reacted to all that? He was, he was overwhelmed with realizing God was in the boat with him and the holiness of Jesus struck fear and shame in him because he knew Jesus knew everything, including his own thoughts, and he fell on the bottom of the boat where all the fish, and he said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. So remember that story because it's all coming back. They fished all night and they didn't catch anything. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Low light Maybe it's like the road to Emmaus where he kept his, his uh, face from them. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Yeah, i got to share this with you. This translation, maybe I should have changed it so I didn't have to explain it. It's, the word friends is a, is a word with the word Philadelphia in it, but this isn't that word. This is the word for child. So a lot of translations, more faithful to the exactness, say, boys, right? Young men, have any fish? It's a diminutive. It's it's saying something to kind of like, hey, uh, you you fellas, you're friends, but young men, you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Have you ever been fishing with a pole and a line and somebody's catching all the fish on the other side of the boat? I have. And as a younger man, I would run over there and put my line in because I would get tired of them catching all the fish. Usually, then they'd go to the other side, and then they'd catch all the fish where I was. Crazy, right? But we all know it's crazy. So as adults, we don't do that so much anymore because the lines, the nets, they're just right next to each other down there. So this is no fishing advice. This is miraculous advice, right? Put your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is hearkening back, right? They know it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, who is that? John. He said to Peter, it it is the Lord on the shore. It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord. He wrapped up his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, burning, a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. The, uh, the original is one fish and one loaf of bread. Not plural, because our English word fish can be singular or plural, right? It's a minor detail, but it's kind of important. So let's just stop right there and and think about what's happening. When Peter, when it happened in Luke 5, early when they they were called to discipleship, how did I remind you that Peter reacted? He fell in the bottom of the boat with that big catch of fish, and he was in fear and shame. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, for now on you will be what? Fishers of men. And his fear subsided. But this time, he's not afraid. That's significant, right? But think of how he ought to be a little bit more afraid, because what's happened? He's failed Jesus terribly, right? He denied knowing him three times. Now, he's already seen Jesus, and we don't know how that conversation had gone after the resurrection, but, but, it's, but Peter believes something different than he believed back then, and he believes something different than that 18 to 25-year-old that got themselves into trouble. Right? He believes that that guy on the shore just gave them a mess of fish, as we would say, because he loves them. He believes in that love. He's not shocked and fearful because of the law. He believes in the good news. It's the Lord. He's appearing to us again, and he jumps in. That's hugely significant, and for our hearts today, because they're all all done with their lives on earth, right? But we're not. God wants us to see the constancy of the love of Christ, and he wants us to believe in his love the way that Peter did. We live in the gospel, don't we? He loves you. And you've got a few terrible sins. Some could be recent. They might be old. That at times when you go over them, you can work yourself into fear of God's love being passed for you, right? You can make huge mistakes and errors in judgment and say things you know that you shouldn't, and you just feel like, I think maybe I'm in time out with God. (laughs) God's love is constant. And Jesus is showing that to Peter and he's showing that to you and me. He still, he had a message for Peter. I still love you. Still love all of you. And by the way, if after a big event in a relationship, like a huge sin or fallout or argument that ended poorly, you can make up. After that, you can say you're sorry and get forgiveness, but then a few days pass and all the cr- thoughts start to crowd back, and since they're crowding back in your mind and heart, you wonder how much is crowding back in the other. And so each time you come back together are very tender, vulnerable times, aren't they? So each time they see Jesus, because they have a sinner's heart that doubts, and they've got these thoughts that grow again between meetings, they need that reassurance each time they see Jesus that his love is constant, that it's there for him, that he's still the powerful, loving God that loves them deeply and has forgiven them of everything. So it's wonderful to see how Jesus advocates to that. He he just keeps laying it on, and they they catch all these fish like the first time he called them. It's, It's more than just love as a feeling, though. It's love as an action that's going to take care of them. Remember, they live in a subsistence kind of way. They, what they can catch with their hands, what they can grow in their gardens or their fields, that's pretty much, they're just the working class, that's their commerce. They don't have a big fat bank account somewhere. They're going to need, they've left everything to follow him. One time during those three years, Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us, right? And so they go, I'm going fishing, and Jesus has, you know, died and risen again, but he's not walking with them anymore. He appears and he disappears. It's kind of like, where, how's life going to go for us now, right, with God, with Jesus, with the mission he gave us? How are we going to take care of ourselves? I'm going fishing. That's how I know how to take care of myself. And What happens? Nothing. How good are they taking care of themselves? Not any better than they were when he found them. It's hard, right? And we have those doubts and fears too in our heart of faith. We're believers, but we have an up-and-down personal economy, an up-and-down National economy, we've got all kinds of messages coming to us from the news, good news, bad news, from people. We've got situations where some of us get nervous when the mail comes because we're not sure what it's going to say about our finances, whatever. We get worried. And it's not just finances. It's about our health, and it's about many other ways, safety, all those things. And you gotta, by watching this story, God is saying to him, Please, factor me in. Stop factoring me out. Like it's all dependent on your ability to go fishing. Whatever that means and whatever you're afraid of the most, factor me in. So Jesus teaches them to factor him in. He keeps them from catching any fish, the way he kept them that first time. And then he walks on the shore and he says... Put your nets on the other side, and they catch that big catch of fish. And what are they supposed to be doing with that that event? They're supposed to be growing in their belief that God will take care of them. He loves them, and He still does. But the second big message is, I will take care of you. And they do believe it. What's interesting, though, is to watch and see this next little thing about breakfast and about the fish. Because it's got some perplexing things in it. And it's in the, and they, they lead us to this idea that God's going to take care of them more deeply than I've said it so far, so go back to uh, he he uh, verse seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It's the Lord." And he jumps in and he okay goes go to verse ten. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you've caught." It the word "some" is really kind of the word "part." Bring part of the fish that you've caught. Go go separate them. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. Remember, he swam to shore. The rest came in the boats. He, he's always the activist, right? Jesus said to do something. He's going to jump to it. He goes and he gets back in the boat. He grabs that net and he drags it up in the shallow water to the shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. I've always, and you've probably heard me say this, Why did they say 153 large fish? And I always say, well, it's just the way guys are, right? John's a guy. We caught 153 large fish, right? That's a fish story. That's success. This wasn't just a little fishing trip. This was a big one. I think that's a big part of this. But in studying this, uh, there are several... Guys that write about the Bible, they're called pat- commentators or pastors and professors. And I ran across an explanation that I think is real plausible. This, this go get part of the fish is probably Jesus saying, you're going to keep these fish. Remember the, the time before when they, they caught the big catch of fish? What was Jesus' word after he said, I'll make you fishers of men? Come follow me. And what's, what does it say happened? Immediately they got to shore and they left the biggest catch of their whole life in the boat to follow the Lord. And we've all looked at that and gone, I don't know if I could do that. That would just be too much, right? Well, this time he says, go get, go get the fish. And the, the, he doesn't need them for breakfast. He's not going to, they're not going to sit there another 45 minutes while he cooks them. So apparently they separated the fish like you do at the end of a fishing trip if they've been in the net and they get rid of the little ones back and they keep them and wow, it's a big catch. There's 153 large fish in that net. Shoulda broken anyway. Had a bunch of other fish. They sorted them out. But they're sorting them out because they get to keep them. So we are in a different place, right? Remember when I just said a few minutes ago, Peter once said, well, we left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Do you know what Jesus' answer was? Anybody who's left mothers or fields or nets or anything for me, they'll receive a hundredfold in this life and in the next. In other words, I'm telling you guys, If you just live for me, I'll take care of all that stuff you worry about all the time. I'll give you a lot, a lot more than just what you think you can get with your hands. I'll take care of you, right? So just follow me in my mission, right? So here, it's happening. Easter has happened. They're going to be the apostles that proclaim the way of the Lord. Salvation is from our God. There's no other name under heaven given among men. They're going to be moving around the area. They're not going to be staying by the lake fishing all the time. But if they are, he's going to take care of them. If it's at the lake or if it's somewhere else, he's going to take care of them. You get to keep those fish. You're on the path. I'm going to take care of you. And they got it. They sit down to eat breakfast And watch this. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples have talked to him yet about who he is. No one dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Remember what I said about the original? It's one fish and one loaf. How many guys are there? Seven. Seven. We're, trying to, we're going to house some pastors this week. There's going to be seven or eight. We're not going to feed them one fish in one low, little roll of bread. You, you won't go around, right? So what's happening here is he feeds them. Same thing that happened with the 5,000 and the 4,000. They're sitting there at breakfast and it's, I'm going to take care of you as he's feeding them. He's miraculously, it's going the whole way, right? One fish, one little loaf of bread. It's not a big loaf, a little loaf of bread, and it feeds all seven of them. They're amazed. They're blown away. I'm going to take care of you. Are you blown away? God's going to take care of you. And in your heart of hearts, I bet you can think, of a time when you felt like in some way you were not going to be taken care of and he taught you the way Jesus taught his disciples this day. You've got a story or two how God amazingly, miraculously brought you through it. He's going to take care of you. He wants people to not worry about it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Do you know what he said? He said pagans worry about all those things. But not you. Seek first my kingdom and its righteousness. And all the things the pagans worry about. Food, clothing, shelter, safety. He says, they'll, it'll, I'll take care of it. So don't worry about it. I want you to be filled with faith. Not fear. Now... When they when Jesus called them away from the nets in Luke 5 and they followed him around for 3 years, remember what Jesus told Peter and it represented all 12 of them what they were going to be doing? They would be fishing for people. They would be changing lives by being plugged into the greatest message on the face of the earth. The greatest message today is not that Country House won the Kentucky Derby by a disqualification. <laughs> the greatest message is the salvation of people's souls. We are going to live forever. Our bodies are going to rise up. Death has no longer got the sting that it had. That The world needs to hear that. The world needs to hear that even though they know deep down in their heart that they're accountable, that they're sinful, that God loves them and has taken it away by putting it on the cross. And that life is not going to end for them if they will just turn toward his love and believe in it, right? They need to know that. Peter's still got a job to do. You, he would think, maybe I'm disqualified, right? We're going up to Galilee, we're going to go fishing, maybe, maybe it's, this is kind of like the, the denouement of my life. Oh no, it's just begun, right? So go flip to the next slide. we got a couple of verses on there. The, the top one is what God said to Peter after this conversation. He said, I'm sorry, the bottom one is. Let's go to the top one. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus said to him, Peter, you're going to become fishers of people. At this story, in this story, it's not on your folder. It's not going to be on the screen. But in your Bible, the next thing that happens is they get up from breakfast, and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I have love for you in my heart. I love you, and I'm so. he doesn't say it, but he's thinking, I'm sorry that I denied you. That, that moment that I failed you does not mean that I don't love you. I do love you. And each time he said he did love Jesus, what did Jesus say for him to do with that love? Take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Take care of the mission of dealing with people, bringing them to Christ, feeding them the gospel, and keeping them in the faith. Peter, you are reinstated. Everything is fine. I still have holy work for you to do. I love you, message one. I'm going to take care of you, message two. Number three, I still have holy work for you to do. And this is the same message he has for us. Now, Peter's vocation was being an apostle. It was not being a fisherman. He could go fishing as a hobby all he wanted. He could go fishing to get a little food and money on the table. But he could not, rec- he could not take that on anymore as his vocation. My vocation is being a pastor. Maybe yours is not, right? Most of you, it's not. But that doesn't mean that our calling is is different from Christ about the gospel, the good news. The call to faith in a God who loves you and saved you through His Son, who still loves you even though you have sinned against Him, who's going to take care of you, the call of faith is that you would proclaim Him before people, big and small, that you'd be part of any movement that's positive in His name, that's for Him, that you'd be supportive of His gospel and, here's another whole different thing, what you do with your life, whether it's at home or at a job or anything in between, would be for the God who saved you, loved you, is going to take care of you. That from your heart, whatever you did is from the thankful, I, you know that I love you, Lord. You know that I love you, so that's why I'm the friend that I am to my friends. That's why I'm an employee that I am at my work. That's why I am the family member that I am. You know that I love you. And it comes from a heart that loves the God who still loves you, still takes care of you, and is taking care of your eternity for you. You see what Jesus is doing for Peter and the boys? He's centering them. He's cleansing them of bad motives and wrong attitudes about God and people. And he's bringing them back to just the essentials of gospel faith and gospel motivation. Well, how did Peter do? The neat thing about Peter is you got a bunch about his life with Jesus, and then you have these two letters that he wrote late in life. And 1 Peter, which is longer than the letter called 2 Peter, is all about what it means to live in the faith even though your life is not going all that well on earth. It's about suffering as a truster. I use that word instead of believer because believer, you kind of forget that it's about trusting. First Peter is a letter to Christians who are needing to learn how to trust God. He still loves you, still takes care of you. He's got heaven waiting for you, even though life has suffering in it. And who's writing it? Peter. So Peter doesn't just trust God when the nets are full. He trusts God when the nets are empty. He says his soon his body's going to be taken away. Ended up, he got crucified. Right. He talks about an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. He talks about living the same way Jesus did before his father, learning to suffer. And he goes, he who suffered is done away with sin. He's no longer living for his sinful attitudes. He's living for love and for God and for faith. And he goes, he goes that's the way Jesus modeled for it. This is all in the book of 1 Peter. The same guy that's on the shore, that jumped in the water, that swam that got the fish, that got told that he still had a job to do. And then Jesus told Peter, you know how, this is in the same story where we're studying right now in John. He, he tells Peter at the end of the book of John, and, and the crown jewel of your life is they will pick you up and take you to a place. You do not want to go. And John, who's lived past it all, who's writing the stories, says, Jesus was telling Peter about how he was going to die for Christ. So I want to—I'm I'm going to be real exact, kind of like the doctor trying to explain to you exactly what is wrong and how he's going to fix it. Learning to trust God's love—that He'll He He always will love you and He's going to take care of you—is learning to trust that message, even when presently your nets are empty. Because you're tied to the God who loves you for eternity and He has a plan for your life. Get it this way. It's learning to stop believing the lie that screams at you when things don't happen the way you want them to. He must not love me. He must not be there. Where is God? Why would God let this happen? You stop all of that because you know God is walking with you and He's using every instance of your life, even the empty nets, to be, make you a blessing to others or to be a blessing for you. He's doing maybe 20 things at one time, but they're all good. But you've got to wait like Peter did or Joseph or Job or David or Abraham. You've got to wait for it all to figure, be, be played out before you can be blessed with figuring it out. But if you try to figure it out early and you become a negative Nancy, right, or a Debbie Downer, It's because of your weakness of faith in what you heard today. So let's reverse it. Believe what Peter learned to believe. So that in your lifetime, your life can be like the the letter called 1 Peter. Where even when things are not going well, you're shining with the trust in the God who walks along the shore and says, put your nets on the other side blesses you this way and that, in his own timing, and promises what at the end? Eternal life through grace. Amen.